Hello and welcome to Numbers on the Boards, presented by Bedgear. And if, like me, you felt like you needed about a thousand years sleep after last night's game, then boy, do I have a product for you. Go to bedgear.com and you can, you can fuel your sleep needs however you see fit. My name is Bobby Corella. Joining me today, now that he's done teaching me how to set up a Zoom chat room, Skin Wade. Hello, Bobby. I would, boy, I tell you what, about trying to think what time that was, probably at about 10.50 last night, I thought we were going to have the most incredible podcast today. I really did. And then things done changed, as uh, the notorious B.I.G. would say. So uh, the heaviness of a short eight-game seeding round before the playoff start was in full force and fully magnified last night at about 11.30 as I'm driving back to Allen. Yeah, it felt like you were on top of the world, and then in an Orlando minute, everything changed. Dallas goes from up seven to tied in 45 seconds and then ultimately falls in overtime, 153 to 149 to James Harden and the Houston Rockets. Harden finished with, I think, 49 points, maybe 48 points. Chris Epsporzingis had 39 points. Luka had a triple-double. Trey Burke scored 31 off the bench. Russell Westbrook had 31 Daniel House hit six threes. Ben McLemore hit four threes. It was just uh, – it was an all-star game, really, for the most part. It was uh, – <laughs> as Rick Carlisle would call it, he probably used the, the term pillow fight, either publicly or privately, to describe that game. But it ended, and unfortunately it ended whenever the Rockets had more points than the Mavs. So just fresh off the top skin, I guess, where do you want to take it? Do you want to – do you want to yeah. wallow in misery or do you want to regroup? And, or no, no, no. I, I think there's a lot of things to consider. Um, it, this, this sounds like a total just, I don't know, fanboy, homer, loser mentality, but I left that game going, the Mavs are better than the Rockets. That's really frustrating. You don't lose games like that up seven with 45 seconds to go when both teams are really tired. Like, the amount of energy that it takes to make up a seven-point deficit in 45 seconds is, is a lot. Uh, you mentioned uh, the all-star feel of the game. It was a mixture of the celebrity game on Friday uh, that they have on All-Star Weekend because of the environment mixed with all-star caliber players, kind of like a weird hybrid of that. And in overtime – when the sound went out of the building and you could hear sneakers and a guy dribbling, I was suddenly at Huffines Rec Center growing up all over again. But the, the, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. For me, uh, the play of the game, the game, the play that won the game for the Rockets was the Russell Westbrook offensive rebound tip-in uh, to cut it to five. And the reason being is because – you know, you can watch a game and see how players are playing and what they're doing and their physicality and their energy and the shots they're taking and all that stuff. And that shot that James Harden took was the most exhausted wave the white flag heave. He was done. He had nothing left, and he had no interest in working for a good shot. They were down seven. I think he had mentally checked out, and he just chunked it. And it was – ugly and it's funny too because he was sitting there and there's two defenders in front of him he's like ah f it Blah. it was a crap shot and russell westbrook who you can say whatever you want about him but that guy never stops and he never quits and that put back 
gave the Rockets a chance that they have no that they had no chance having. That was an extraordinary play because if the Mavericks secure that rebound, that game is over. The next time the Rockets see the ball, there's 25 seconds left, and at best they're down seven. Yeah, that and whenever you can't game. you can't control the glass, and at that point in the game, they had both KP and Maxi on the floor. So, you know, Houston's trotting out a, a lineup for the entire game whose tallest player is Robert Covington, who is between 6'7 and 6'10, depending on how long his hair is on top. Yeah. Uh, but you have Maxi, who's 6'10, 6'11, KP, 7'3. And uh, they couldn't control the glass on that play. And then, of course, uh, you know, really kind of the, the biggest gut punch of them all was when James Harden inexplicably missed a free throw and it bounced about 14 times on the rim. Just the most, the most perfect bounce if you're the team that's losing in that situation. Yeah. And Robert Covington yeah. is able to beat Maxi uh, baseline on a box out attempt and, and tip it in. And it was just, it was, it was tough. And so it is, it's, it's very, uh, I don't know, it's ironic or frustrating or whatever you want to, however you want to paint it, that a game where these guys hit 43s combined, there was 300 points scored. Dallas was just dominating on the glass really all game long on both the defensive and the offensive end. I mean, Houston, like midway through the second quarter, had like seven rebounds or just yeah. something stupid. It was, it was just mind-boggling numbers. But in those key moments, Westbrook on the offensive glass, Covington on the offensive glass, and whenever you lose those 50-50 balls, um, that suddenly opens up yourself to, you know, James Harden hitting a 35-foot three. Yeah. To right. cut the lead to I think four at that point and yes. you know just like you know Ben McLemore banked in a three earlier in the game and so like all of these like you know kind of cheap points uh end up mattering a whole lot more whenever you can't execute the the fundamental stuff and so all around man that was just a, a pretty uh, that was a pretty tough one yeah and and it also it opens up the door to a lot of narratives you don't want to deal with but now they're back in your face because I'll put it to you like this all the chatter about uh, crunch time Mavs and how inept they are and on and on and on. The point of crunch time is to put yourself in a position to be up seven with 45 seconds to go. Now, there was some poor play, especially offensively by both teams, and I think that was more indicative of a combination of, you know, those both teams being exhausted and the amount of layoff. But that's where you get into these generic cliches. Everyone's tired of hearing of who wanted it more and all that. Well, they all want it. Russell Westbrook got it, you know, yep. and, 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 you know, we say, I, when you go home, you listen to post game shows and you see Twitter and there's all this, uh, I see all this second guessing of Carlisle, which that's what people do. It's really more of a baseball mentality to second guess every decision the manager makes. But, uh, but I, you know, that's, that's a fan's right. And that's what they do. But, you know, I keep coming back to, so he was such a bad coach. They were up seven with 45 seconds to go in the most important game that they could play after a four-month layoff. Look, you can nitpick everything, but just because you're mad that this thing didn't work out doesn't mean in your alternate universe it would have worked out. You, you know, it's up to the players to execute. That, to me, that loss is an execution loss. And, you know, I'm not sitting in the huddle. I hated our final shot of regulation. I mean, I hated that. You're at you're on your side of the court, and there's three seconds to go. I've seen teams take a couple dribbles and get layups in those situations. It happened so, to the Mavs against the Wizards. Bradley Beal did it to yes, them just a couple months ago. Absolutely. So, 
you know, it's so funny after all this talk of like, man, we don't post up, we don't post up, we don't post up. Man, I would have spread that floor and thrown it right into Kristaps, 15 feet from the basket and let him catch it there with three seconds to go and shoot over one of their midgets. But, hey, I'm, I'm a guy second-guessing. You know, I've got – I'm in Allen upstairs in my room, and there's a dirt cutout behind me. I'm, you know, we can all, you know, in our world, and our alternate sports universes, have these things work out. That just – we're all extra bitter because that was the most important game that they'll probably play in these eight-game seeding round because if they beat the Rockets – you and I are having a discussion today that the Mavericks have already clinched a playoff spot and they're in a really good position to move up to six or five or whatever you want to say. And now that feels like that possibility is eons away. They're sort of going, all right, we're the seven seed. What happens next? Yeah, there was a, it was, it was a bad 24 hours for coin flip results. So Dallas goes to overtime and loses. And then also the day before that, the Pelicans – uh, you could make the case that they should have pulled off an upset win against the Jazz and had right. those results been inverse, Dallas would be a half game behind Houston and only a game and a half behind Utah. And so it just would have been, yeah, like you're saying, man, the, the whole context of this conversation and our mindset would be totally different. But part of the beauty of basketball is that, you know, you don't get, you don't get to wallow in your misery for too long because you got another game tomorrow. And in this yeah. case, the Mavs play the Suns and their next two games against Phoenix and Sacramento – are the ultimate you better take care of effing business games because Phoenix right now is the worst team in the West that is in the bubble. They're 29 and 37. They're five back of eighth. You, you have to be not only within four games of eighth, but also in ninth place to qualify for that little plan. And uh, right now there's five teams between them and that. So that's a game that you really should win. Uh, Phoenix did beat Washington on day one of the bubble, but of course, Washington's without Bradley Beal and Dobbs Bertans. Uh, they're without Kelly Oubre, Phoenix is. And so that's a game you should win. And Sacramento just lost to uh, San Antonio yesterday. And they're also dealing with a lot of guys being out injured. Yeah. So, I mean, man, you got to win these next two games. But I, I guess we can, we can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, kind of one thing that I wanted to say about the Houston game is that you said something about fatigue, and I agree, man. They looked totally, totally gassed, both teams. Like, yeah. in the final five minutes, Luca did not even want the ball. Like, he's, like, he's tossing it over. Like, he's, he's like, not bringing it up the floor. James Harden, they stopped running the offense through him. I mean, it was a lot of Westbrook stuff and, and just kind of swinging around and let other guys shoot. And uh, I think the layoff contributed to that. But also, it was, it was kind of maybe a, a preview of what we'll see once the playoffs start like mismatch hunting um, with about five minutes left. Uh, Maxi Kleba came in the game for Dorian Finney-Smith. Finney-Smith had five fouls and I think he had just committed a turnover and it really just, he and Seth Curry both kind of just really struggled to get going in the game because they were yeah, in foul yeah. trouble so early. So I Maxie you comes for in. saying Seth Curry was good. I can't believe you did that, Bob. That's all your yeah, we, You and I jinxed it, man. I, I take full responsibility for that, Seth. I'm Dude, sorry. I don't know if you saw it, but I had a Seth Curry tweet during the day that was praising his month of February as maybe the greatest three-point shooting month ever. <laughs> <laughs> Look how he repaid you for that one. Oh, man. But, I'm sorry uh, I interrupted a, you. I was laughing about Seth. No, no, it's all good. So both of those guys, they, you know, they, they, they had forgettable games. But, um, you know, so in comes Maxi. And, of course, Houston's going to put Harden on Maxi because he's, you know, the least dynamic guy off the dribble and all that stuff. And so Dallas, instead of going Luka KP two-man game, 
went Luca Maxi two man game because they wanted to force Harden to switch onto Luca to make him work. Mm-hmm. The only problem is, you know, I think Luca was was running on fumes in the same way that Harden was, and so we couldn't really take him to the basket the way he was, dude. Earlier in that game, anytime Harden was on Luca, Luca was around him in one dribble. I mean, yeah. Harden was in foul trouble as well, and so he's yeah. not trying to pick up a foul. So it's an automatic layup. I mean, Luca was just killing him in that matchup, but he just couldn't do it in the final few minutes. And so you're going away from KP. You're trying to go to Luca, which is, the, in the basketball sense, the right play. You want to attack Harden. You want to, you know, expose that mismatch. But unfortunately, they just couldn't do it. And so you have this piping hot guy, you know, standing on the wing, and then you have this other piping hot guy on the bench and Trey Burke. And, and so, you know, that definitely kind of – adds ammo to the to the you know fan second guess Carlisle fire but I mean well you know know it is what it is yeah it is what it is and I uh I wanted to give Harden some credit and I think part of what you're saying is accurate that Luca was not physically at his peak and able to take advantage of Harden but I had just said on the broadcast because there was a play right before it where Harden was on he was baseline side and Luca just dribbled around him and got in for a layup, and it was easy. And I mentioned because of the foul trail, I was like, man, Harden ain't even trying to cover Luca." And then Harden had, like, three consecutive good defensive possessions right after that. I was like, all right, I'll shut up now and give the man He's his credit. a jinx I master. I know. I, like, I know I'm supposed to hate Harden, and, you know, it's our Mav given right to hate him. But you got to give the guy credit for those possessions. And part of it was the physical circumstances. But – they're both competing, and Harden won those competitions, and they were very important moments. So, yeah, one it, thing that know, Harden has developed in the in the last couple of years is very kind of reminiscent of the the Dirk smackdown yes. block yes. steal thing. You know, Harden doesn't do it as like deliberately as Dirk did, but he's really good at just sticking his hand in there and just poking Swipe. it away. He did that a few times. Yeah, and a couple times on Porzingis. Yeah, dude, Covington um, had that one block on Porzingis that was amazing. That was, was amazing. Man. By the way. You know, if I'm sitting here talking about frustrations, I'd, I'd have to go back and look. This is memory, right? My memory is like, man, I sure would like to get the ball to Porzingis more in this fourth quarter in some different spots um, if I'm doing the second-guessing thing. But I, I want to say this about uh, the, the, all the Trey Burke criticism or Carlisle criticism I saw about Trey Burke not playing more, et cetera, et cetera, is – you know, maybe he should have played more. Um, that's fine. We can, you know, say that or not say that. But I've seen hundreds of NBA games where a guy comes off the bench and fills it up like Trey Burke was doing, and the coach goes with him too long and he starts eating back into the effectiveness of what he created. Now, that was clearly Trey Burke night, and he probably should have been mixed in more, et cetera, et cetera. But – you know, I didn't once – when that game was over, I didn't have a single thought of, man, the Mavericks lost that game because they didn't go back to Trey Burke more. And I think that that's, again, going back to a, a fantasy alternate universe. The bottom line on all of this is if you are up seven with 45 seconds to go in what is essentially a playoff game, that's what that was last night. The Mavericks played a playoff game after a four-month layoff. Then you win that game. And they didn't execute. They didn't make the right plays. They got beat on some critical effort type things. And I don't think it – because I see a lot of this by fans too. Well, they quit tonight. It's like, no, they didn't quit. They they got out-hustled, out-performed, out-muscled, out-efforted at the end of game. Not because uh, they didn't have the constitution for it, 
do. They physically got beat in those moments, and that's the, the stuff you end up wearing for the next 36 or 40 hours until you play again. Yeah, and just a couple of missed free throws and everything. I guess the one thing that I'll say about Burke, and this is kind of like, I don't know, this is like a bigger picture Mavs team building whatever you want to make it. I mean, like, you know, they were rumored to be into Kimba last summer and everything. I mean, I feel like last night was a pretty good illustration of why Dallas feels like, even though Luke is this all-world player, why uh, the Mavs feel like having multiple ball handlers on the floor is important. Mm-hmm. Because in the event when Luca does get a little tired, or maybe he's dealing with foul trouble, or maybe he's just hurt and not playing or whatever, then you have another fallback option to go on. And right. A guy who can break down the defense. Because this this whole offense, I mean, again, what I, I'm – I know after a loss, you don't want to hear it, but this is the best offense ever uh, in terms of efficiency. Did, and you so, see their, did you see their first half offensive rating? Yeah, it was 141.7, which is yes, like break your computer screen good. Right. Um, but this whole offense, and again, this is the best offense of all time, is predicated on getting the ball in the lane, inside-out basketball, or I guess right. really kind of outside-in if you want to look at right, it that right, way. Right. Start on the perimeter, break down the defense, get in the lane, kick out the pass to a shooter, or finish at the rim. That's what they do, and if it, it cannot succeed without the key ingredient of getting the ball into the lane. And so that's the one thing that I would say, and maybe not, maybe Trey Burke isn't the guy, maybe just giving it to Tim or giving it to Curry, like going somewhere else, but having some type of alternative option to where if for whatever reason, you know, Luke isn't able to get by his man, then, you know, swing it over here and, and attack the defense from a different direction with a different guy. I feel like that's really important. But then again, too, I mean, you know, you're up seven with 45 seconds left. And so it wouldn't have even yeah. been an issue if you make a free throw or get a rebound or whatever. No, no, so, no. But I, I like the conversation, Bobby, because it kind of – it leads to other situations they'll find themselves in, right? And the thing about – that's so interesting about Burke and, you know, when we, we have these conversations, I'm going off memory. I'm going off of what I remember seeing on the floor. I don't have the numbers in front of me. My memory of when Trey Burke was here – I've seen him play plenty of times, but specifically here – is that he had the ball in his hands the whole time he was on the floor. What we saw last night was catch and shoot off the ball. Like, we were running it back on the postgame show. Everything was catch and shoot. And usually I'm used to Trey Burke pounding it. Mm-hmm. And so, which is a lot of, like, criticisms of uh, uh, fans I see of Berea. And what, the, the, what you just illustrated that is uh, tangible that would have worked great is pre-Achilles Berea. If you had pre-Achilles Berea, you had that. Plus, you had a guy who's probably the toughest SOB on this team. Plus, he's got a championship pedigree. Plus, he's a veteran. But it's just at the age he's at, coming back from Achilles and being that player he was, you know, nobody's done it. Nobody, ever. The closest guy – to being that was Dominique Wilkins, and he was a different style player. So um, they, they do need that, though, and that is why they wanted Kemba. And, um, you know, last night was definitely Trey Burke night. Uh, he was incredible, and maybe he should have played more and all those things. But, you know, I, we have when we're at our most frustrated analyzing losses, that's where I think we go to the most illogical places. Because, again – this team was up seven with 45 seconds to go. That's not a crunch time problem because you just went through four minutes and 15 seconds of putting yourself in a position to not have that. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. There's a lot of different criticisms that are valid. But I just – I think there's a tendency 
uh, we all do it to go, well, in my alternate universe, I would have made this decision and we would have won. I'm like, what are you, let's, no, that's probably, yeah. it's probably not likely. If yeah. it came down to one play, one single play, and you made this horrible decision, I'm all right, I get it. But that was, uh, that was just an execution breakdown. Uh, I've, I've said this a million times. So anybody that's played in the NBA, most people who've played in the NBA. Like you and have, me, of course. Like you and me have heard a coach when they're getting ready, uh, the other team is shooting a free throw. They've heard a coach put his hands to his mouth and yell, box out. Like, think about that. That's like uh, <laughs> your kid. That's like your kids putting on shoes and going, tie your shoes. Duh. <laughs> duh. Yet it happens after 20 years of being coached in basketball. There's guys that are out there and the coach is going, box out. Like, hey, don't forget to breathe. You know, it's the most basic fundamental thing and, and basic execution that everyone knows how to do. I can distinctly remember learning how to box out when I was 12 and 11 years old. But in those moments, you either get it done or you don't. And if you don't get it done and you don't do the basic execution or someone outperforms you, physically outperforms you, that's not a coach's fault. And as much as we want to, like, yell and be angry and justify our emotions that's a very basic execution problem and in the final 45 seconds the Mavericks had two tough rebounding fundamental execution situations that bit them in the ass after kicking Houston's butts on the boards all night long yeah and in that game there's 118 possessions you're going back and forth back and forth back and forth almost 103 point attempts I mean there's Thousands of events, as Rick Carlisle calls them, in an NBA game. And the ones that happen in the first quarter, he'll tell you, are just as important as the ones that happen in the fourth quarter. Of course, right. the ones that happen in the fourth quarter carry a little more significance because of their outcome on the game. And so you just have to execute. It's just, just execution, man. And, like, you know, it's, it's funny whenever you talk about, like, you said, like, Russell Westbrook wanted it more or Russell Westbrook got it. When he, you said he went and got it, right? Whatever the cliche is. Yeah, yeah. So – Game two, 2011, the Mavs end that game on a 22 to five run or whatever. They they outscored Miami 20 to two before Mario Chalmers just about, you know, ruined the finals for everybody <laughs> for the rest of our lives. But, uh, you know, did Miami fail to execute or did the Mavs want it more? Like Mavs fans view it as Dallas just refused to lose, but also Miami started settling for a bunch of step back threes. They stopped playing. They stopped. You yeah. know, they just. They kind of just like they were playing with their food a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, we want, you know, you can credit the Mavs in 2011. Well, you should probably credit the Rockets too. I mean, Russell Westbrook just went beast mode there and Covington made an incredible play. I mean, you know, yeah. but in, in games like that, it's not just one team doing it and one team failing. It's just like some of it is just dumb luck, you know, like that, that shot that Harden missed the free throw. If it just bounces like 99% of free throws, then the game is over. You know, right. it, it, but it, it is what it is. It, it happened. And unfortunately, you just got to you got to live with it and you got to move on. Um, almost no matter what, you're going to be in the playoffs unless you go 0-7 and Memphis goes 7-0. and So like in the grand scheme of things, in the course of human history, doesn't matter. But for this specific season, this specific tournament, it probably sucks. Uh, but you got to live with it and you got to move on. And that means moving on to Phoenix who for every other team in the bubble would be like, 
okay, cool. Yeah, we'll be able to bounce back. But for the Mavs, Phoenix is, uh, you know, the ultimate kryptonite. So, Skin, what do – what 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 happens in this game if on Monday morning we're waking up after Mavs win, hopefully? Why will they have won the game? What can they take from this Houston game? And It's almost like you can't even do that. Houston yeah. plays a bunch of shooting guards. Right. Phoenix has DeAndre Ayton. So what, what does Dallas have to do in order to beat Phoenix and, and you know, right the course? Yeah, I think uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind is have a couple of important players have a more – a uh, standard game for what they've done this year. And those two names would be Dorian and Seth. Um, when Seth is, is on the Mavericks are impossible to defend. They really are when he is on, because you know what Luca and KP are going to do. And really Tim's been pretty consistent um, this year. So I, you know, I think those two guys having games more akin to what they're, they have, I think it causes a great ripple effect. Because the Mavericks, look, they're not a good defensive team. Um, they can be a good enough defensive team. And part of that is Dorian being really good, Maxie being really good. And I think Seth is an underrated defender. Uh, he's not a great defender. He's certainly not a, you know, get him out. Uh, if he's out in space, he's just going to keep someone from the – he's not that guy, but he's intuitive. And so – He can make he, plays. He, he makes steals, plays. you know. Right. He had a really great dig down last night on Russ, uh, you know, that, that stopped a run. So um, I think those two guys getting more uh, – just having a more standard Maverick-style game for them goes a long way to doing that. Um, I can't wait to see the eight and KP matchup. Oh, that should be fun, dude. And then, yeah. uh, you know, we're going to have a Booker uh, – uh, not that I think that Luca's going to be draped all over Booker the game, but we're going to have some nice – uh, Booker Luca showdown style moments because those are the I mean dude remember some of these games Booker has had against the Mavs with like Wesley Matthews draped all over him and he can't be stopped I think we're gonna have a pretty fun little shootout tomorrow and I also think look Phoenix you you go you have to go beat Phoenix if we want this team to be what we want them to be but Phoenix is better than their record is in my opinion they had the weird situation with Aiton missing all those games and then a new coach changing the philosophy but I think Phoenix is a little bit better than we think they are. Yeah, but they will have no Ubre, so they're starting. It's a lot of kids that they're starting. They're starting uh, Booker, of course, who's still just 23 years old. He's actually right. younger than Porzingis. If that, wow. Hey, that doesn't make any sense to me, but he's younger than Porzingis. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, second-year player. Uh, of course, Styles make fights. Ayton is, has nothing in common with James Harden, so it's going to be a totally different game plan that the Mavs are rolling out defensively. Um, and then they got uh, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson's old running buddy at Villanova, who is in the sixth man of the year conversation, but is now starting because Uber is out. And then also Cam Johnson, who's a big-time shooter from the wing. And so there's still plenty of offensive firepower. They got Ricky Rubio. Yeah, I was going to ask whenever, about his uh, Whenever the Mavs played the Suns in November, uh, he and Aaron Baines combined to commit about 37 flagrant fouls on Luka, none of which were called. So yeah. It was a very bizarre game, really yeah. weird game. Uh, I'm sure Luke hasn't forgotten about that, but I also hope that the Mavs haven't forgotten that the last time they played the Suns, January 31st, Phoenix slapped them around at American Airlines Center. They, they were up like 30 or maybe even 40 in that game at one point. That, that game just got really out of hand. It was a, that, was a, that was a brutal one. Yeah, bad night. Um, and it, there are sometimes teams that, for whatever reason, they cause you huge problems. By the way, I, I, I could probably find this. Do you know the, the Mavericks – uh, and so it changed after last night. 
But do you know the Mavericks Rockets history since 1994? Uh, like series matchup? Yes. Hmm. Houston's got to be ahead, right? Dude, I'm going to – while you're talking, while we're talking, I'm going to pull this up. Okay, I'll, I'll stall. Let me, let me talk you through my, my thought process. So, I okay. think Houston is ahead because, um, you know, the mid-'90s Rockets were awesome and, and the Mavs really weren't. And then both teams kind of tailed off toward the end of the 90s. Or I guess the Mavs were still kind of tailed off, and the Rockets sort of did as well. They got, like, Dream, Barkley, Pippen, I want to say, but they, like, were just kind of, like, fine. Um, and then you enter the early thousands when the Rockets started really falling off and the Mavs started taking off, but then they got McGrady and Yao. And so like pound for pound, I feel like they've just sort of like, you know, the Mavs' highs were much higher than the Rockets in the thousands, but the Rockets were still always consistently there. And then as the Mavs tailed off, the Rockets picked up. So I feel like it's got to be close to even, but the Rockets may be ahead a little bit. You ready for this? Okay. In the last... 102 matchups. This is going into last night's game. And the last 102 matchups between the Mavericks and Rockets, both teams have 51 wins. Oh. And the total score in those 102 games is Dallas 10,342 to Houston 10,336. With just a six-point separation since the beginning of the 94-95 season. Wow. That is crazy. Well, and last night, of course, went to OT, and it was only decided by four. You know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, for the longest time in my head, it was always about, uh, you know, Mavs, Spurs, Mavs, Spurs, Mavs, Spurs. But really, the more appropriate rivalry is probably Mavs-Rockets. At this point, for sure. That way, you know. For sure. I mean, like, just, again, no disrespect to him. He's awesome. If Luca ever ends up as good as James Harden, you know, consistently for 10 years or whatever the way Harden has, I will – I'll do backflips. But, I mean, what what else in sports elicits the kind of visceral reaction that you feel whenever Harden is, you know, flailing around, going to the rim? Like, I don't care about any of this stuff. I'm just uh, – you know, I, I want the Mavs to win every game, of course, but I'm not going to get mad about it. But, like – even I was like cussing to myself whenever Harden's jumping through Maxi and Finney Smith and somehow getting a foul call for that. I'm just thinking, are you kidding me Wait, with that? So I mean, that's a was, that's a rivalry, though. You know, where was where was he gonna go? He nowhere. Up, he had he, he jumped. He picked up his dribble outside the three point line and was doing a jump step to split two guys, like. And he fell like, face first is, on the ball. That is so unfair of God not to let us see that play out. That would have been, like, epic-level sports blooper. Like, what in the F is that guy doing? <laughs> I mean, that was like a sinner dribbling down court for the first time. Like, oh, what, what are we watching? It's a deer on skates. That was insanity that we were robbed of by a cheap foul call. Yeah, I mean, man – I don't know. I feel like you kind of have to go spirit of the game in that situation and say there's yes. a there's a zero percent chance that first off that's not a basketball move. Second off, if there was no foul call, then it would have been a travel. Like yeah. he would have just he would have taken thirty steps and fallen down. Like that was not that wasn't going anywhere. So bailing him out with a foul call when it wasn't even a foul to begin with is just 
it's just insane to me. But yeah, that it is like it, it looked like open gym after football season when all the linebackers would come out and start playing pickup basketball. That's and they're, they're trying to hit the gap up the middle. You're like, oh, yeah. this isn't 34 blast. This is basketball. Yeah. But that's that's a sports rivalry. So yeah, I agree. I agree. Right now, I mean, not even given the state of the Spurs franchise, they're kind of finally sort of fallen off a little bit, but just I mean, I don't think anybody in Mavs fandom world hates anyone on the Spurs as much as anyone on the Mavs hates Harden, you know? So you know, what's that's, funny, that's dude, kinda... is I think, you know, we were talking about those rivals. I think, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, that's the way they felt about Ginobili. Mm. And, uh, man, Ginobili is such a good person. I mean, he is such a good – like, what little I know, the stories I've heard. And I know one time uh, my stepdad's mother – lives down south and she's the biggest Spurs fan and she's the sweetest old lady and and so I kind of got her down there on the front row just to see warm up and I'm standing there midcourt and Ginobili walks by me and I go hey man that lady over there is the biggest Spurs fan in the world and he went over there and sat beside her and talked to her. I mean oh, he doesn't cool. know me he didn't don't tell me that, that story skin I don't want to I don't want to know la, 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 la. <laughs> it's just the people I've talked to in the Spurs organization the stuff they say about Ginobili there's not one mad fan alive that would not like him as a person there was a in in 2000 either 15 or 16 it had to be 2015 the Spurs were whatever seed they were in the playoffs and um Chris Paul eliminated them on a buzzer beater, I want to say, maybe even in game seven to win the series. And uh, like hour and a half after that game is over, your season is done. The Spurs tweet out a team photo of all of them at dinner, all the players, all the coaches, bottles of wine, having a great time together, all smiling. And I'm just like, I hate how much I love this picture. You know, <laughs> like they just look so happy together. Like, that's the yeah. ultimate just the ultimate team, you know? And, and to a certain extent, like, if you hate the Mavs, then you probably hate all the fun that they're having on social yes. media because I yes. don't like when my rivals enjoy their life. It's not enough that I win skin. My opponent has to lose, too. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. That's funny. And, and the other thing, too, that reminds me of is when you have a tight-knit, tight-knit squad, there is obviously the highs are incredible – but there's also some beauty and and experiencing the lows together and being together through those lows. And I think that, you know, whatever I feel about that organization, you know, as a fan, it's pretty evident that that is a, that's a real team and a real tight knit bunch that really has each other's backs for years to come. Like I get so excited, even all these years later, when Dirk will see Tyson Chandler again or whatever, you know, Jet, their bond is just like the realest thing ever. And I just think it's really, really special. Yeah. Well, and I guess to tie it back to the Mavs somehow, after the game last night, uh, KP, like, what are your thoughts on the loss? And he said, it's, it's a great experience for us. That was what he said. And I'm thinking like, are you high? And then he was like, it's going to be good because we're going to learn from this and it's going to help us, you know, for the real thing. And if yeah. they, if they really do approach it that way, then that's definitely the right attitude to have and the right spirit to have, because, you know, you can do one of two things after a game like that. You can either suck it up and move on, or you can be upset about it and lose to Phoenix tomorrow. And so yep. we'll see hopefully they do hours. learn from it. And, and Lucas said, you know, we all have each other's backs and everything. So there, there can't be any sort of infighting or internal doubt or any of that stuff. You just got to keep your eye on the ball and, 
and hopefully learn from this at some point before it uh, before it comes back to bite you too hard. But uh, in the meantime, Skin, I'm always going to stand by you, no matter what happens on. I got show. your back, Bobby. Yeah. Is uh, any any final words, any parting shots before we get out of here? No, man. I'm glad we did this. I think I just uh, flushed all the negative energy from last night out of my system, talking it out with you. So that's good, man. I feel much better. I can't wait to see the game tomorrow night. Yeah, and that is what, an 8 p.m. tip-off, I believe. Another correct? 8 p.m. tip-off. Pre-game at 7.30. Yeah, and so last night we had the late start because of the dual national broadcast. I don't think we're going to have that tomorrow night. I think it's going to be a tip pretty close to 8 o'clock. So. Okay, and that, that game is strictly, I believe, on Fox Sports Southwest, not even NBA TV or anything. So if you're in market, tune in on Fox Sports Southwest. Um, pre-game 7.30, real thing at 8 o'clock or 8.10, thereabouts as the Mavs look to clinch a playoff spot. Now Memphis plays tomorrow at 3 p.m. And so if the Grizzlies lose, the Mavs will have already clinched. If the Grizzlies win, I forget who they're playing, uh, maybe the Spurs or something. If they win the game, then the Mavs will have to win in order to clinch their first playoff spot since 2016. Either way, the stakes are high. Pretty much every loss from here on out is the nail in the coffin for moving up. You almost, you almost have to run the table if you want to move yeah. up to sixth or seventh or fifth at this point. Uh, but we'll see. Step one is tomorrow. Let me, say, let me say one more thing before we get out, Bobby. Okay. Uh, for the, you mentioned uh, Fox and Fox Sports Southwest. And the, the, what is having to go on in order to broadcast these games takes a ton of effort and planning. And I am really, really astonished by what all the behind-the-scenes people – have done and out are doing and are continuing to do during these games so that me and Harp and Followell and then along with Dana and Seth on the pre and post game stuff can uh, do what we're doing. And uh, I just want the people watching the game because you never think about these things to know. I mean, it is, you know, you always have your little world. Well, within our world, man, tonight was a dumpster fire. This happened and this happened. Oh my God. And you're like, well, I don't know that the audience really noticed it. They're focusing on the game, but it's, it's always like that, all the behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm just saying the duress under which the people are working and performing to bring you guys these games is amazing, and they're, they're, and they're delivering. And uh, I just want everyone to make sure to, to take that in and appreciate the work that all these people are doing. And when I say under duress, it's weird times. Everyone's ecstatic to be doing it. And we're so happy that basketball's back. We're happy to give people an opportunity to maybe – uh, you know, decompress and distance from the real world that's really tough right now. But I just want to make sure everyone knows, you know, me and Harp and Followell and Dana and Sed are so appreciative of what all the producers and directors and camera people and sound people and the communication back and forth with Orlando's insane and uh, you don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, we didn't even know what replays we were going to get until we got them. And I say me, I'm, I say us, I mean the whole broadcast crew. So just know that people are working their asses off to try to bring you the best possible presentation. And I want those people to be recognized for the great work they're doing. Yeah, and the broadcast is so smooth too. I can't really speak to much of what's going on behind the scenes as, as well as you can, obviously. Um, but you can't tell that you guys aren't there when you watch the game. And I feel like that's, cool. a, that's a pretty high compliment to be paid to y'all because it can't be easy to uh, call a game where you're reacting to stuff at the same exact time that I am, and, mm -hmm. uh, but you're in charge of communicating what's going on to the masses. So uh, really well done. Major props to everybody at Fox. Absolutely. They're kicking ass. Yeah, for sure. And let's do it seven more times, man. Seven All more right. times. 
before the playoffs really get rolling. Let's see if the Mavs can right the ship. That starts tomorrow yep. against Phoenix, and then they play again, I believe, on Tuesday against the Kings, and that one is a matinee. So in about 36 hours, you'll get two Mavs games, which is awesome. As long as they go 2-0, uh, my, my expectations aren't too high. Just win both of them by at least 30. All right, Skin. Uh, I am Bobby. That is Skin Wade. He's the legend. You can catch him on the Ben and Skin Show on uh, The Eagle. And you can also catch him on Maps broadcast and pregame on Fox Sports Southwest. He's everywhere. Uh, I'm everywhere else that Skin isn't. And uh, we will see you next time on Numbers on the Boards.